You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Continue the topic this week, and man, and I know I've been on this for a while. These are supposed to be individual lessons, but this is like a 30-page lesson, and it's just a challenge for me to try to get through this in uh, a Sunday, and then I think, well, what's the rush? Um, And especially given the topic, because I'm not trying to drag my feet, but I think it's a good opportunity because one of the things that, that... As a church, we are a mission-minded, a mission-hearted church. That's seen in our giving. That's seen in the missionaries we support, the missionaries that we uh, have come by to keep missions before us continually. But at the same time, uh, that's an emphasis that I have fallen short on as a pastor. Uh, And therefore, as a church, we, uh, you know, just missions, just being the greater emphasis of missions. And we've talked uh, a great deal about that. And so it gives the opportunity to say, hey, well, let's, Let's emphasize the importance of missions. Now, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in, you know, I think trying to get the perception right about missions in a sense, and definitely not getting the idea that I feel like a lot in the modern church have, and that is that we aren't missionaries, like that, that, our, that our single responsibility, it's great if we as a church and, and as uh, collectively, if we uh, give above and beyond to say we want to support worldwide missions, uh, but if we're not careful, what we can do is we can say, okay, so now I'm doing missions and my box is checked and it's good. Uh, just trying to get that right perspective of always remember that every one of us uh, each of us, I should say, are missionaries. So we've tried to emphasize that a good bit. Um, oh man, you know, well, let's see. I'm going to uh, look at Acts chapter 13, verse number 1 here. And Acts 13, verse 1, this is the first instance of missionaries being sent out of the church. And they're being sent out of the church at Antioch and not out of the church of Jerusalem, you could argue that missionaries were reluctantly sent out, sent out of the church at Jerusalem upon the persecution because they did go into the places Jesus originally told them to go. But this is the first church that is willingly and voluntarily sending out missionaries. And the Bible says in Acts 13, verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius and Cyrus, of Cyrene and Manaen, which may or which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so just to look a little bit today about the context of missions. And so we'll bring missions back into the context that we understand a little bit better or think of a little bit more readily, and that is people that are actually leaving their homes and going to other places um, that are beyond their, their community, maybe beyond their state or what have you. The first thing we see is the context of missions. We see there's a local church involved. I emphasize the local church a lot. And the reason I do that is because the New Testament emphasizes the local church a lot. But we live in a world, it seems like in the world of Christendom today, 
the church at large is emphasized over 90% of the time, and then the local church may be, uh, you know, 5 to 10% of the time at best. But the ratio in the Bible is different than that. Uh, in other words, uh, over 90% of the references to church in the New Testament are dealing with local uh, indip- individual churches, a lot like ours. That's what 90% of the messages and that which has been referred to in the New Testament deal with. And then a smaller percentage refers to the church at large, if you will. And so, uh, but the local church here says, we have seen in this study a church is a called out assembly of believers belonging to the Lord. It is a group of people summoned together around a common faith and with a common purpose. Uh, now, the church at Antioch was established after the persecution. It was, it was established after the preaching of Stephen. And the church of Antioch grew. There was something really cool that happened at Antioch that didn't happen in Jerusalem. And, and you know, sometimes reading, we don't think of it in, in context as much as Jews and Gentiles and so forth. But the church of Jerusalem was almost exclusively made up of Jews and Jewish converts. But the church at Antioch, uh, there began to not only be Jews that were coming to Christ and making up the church, but also Gentiles began to turn to the Lord as well. The church at Jerusalem was comprised, again, mostly of Jewish believers. And, again, it sounds funny to us today, but they were suspicious of this church that was made up of Jews and now Gentiles were coming in. And if you know much about New Testament history as far as, you know, the background of many of the epistles in the book of Acts, you understand that there was this great, great controversy that they, the Jews, uh, even the saved Jews were trying to figure out, well, wait, because the, the tricky thing, because we can use people coming from Judaism and then getting saved as an example of some of you that came from other denominations, or even Baptist, it doesn't really matter, but to where you thought that your church or your religion saved you, but then you, uh, like Apollos, understood the way more perfectly and understood, wait, it's not the church, and it's not baptism, and it's not good works, it's Christ. We use that comparison sometimes. Um, but, but for the Jews that came out of uh, Judaism, as far as ha- them having a hard time understanding Salvation by grace through faith. The only difference is, is that God Almighty is the one that established Judaism, right? He's the one that established this. Um, And so it's different in that sense. Now, it's also worth understanding that by the time Jesus came along preaching, Jesus several times mentions the extremes that the the nation of Israel, the Jews, started going to. In other words, you had those that had compromised the truth of the law of God and the Old Testament, but you also had those that went to another extreme. Remember God said, don't turn to the, to the right hand or to the left? Uh, well, by the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees, for instance, they were a group of people who had added to the law of God. So in a sense, the type of Judaism that was being practiced by the time Jesus came along was not that which God had ordained, but it was still based on that, and that was still the, the overriding foundation of, that, uh, of their teaching and of their beliefs. So, since the church was suspicious 
Like, wait, this looks a little bit different than what our idea of the way a church should look looks. I say all this because it's interesting today that we can have some of those same things today. Some of us grew up in good churches or, uh, or maybe after we got saved, we were brought up in a good church. And maybe you come to this church and this church looks different than the church you are used to looks. And so, but, 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 but credit to them because rather than just dismiss it, they sent Barnabas and said, Barnabas, will you go check this out? See what's going on. They went from Jerusalem, go over there to Antioch. So look in Acts chapter number 11 and verse 22. The Bible says, Then tidings of those things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So when Barnabas got to Antioch, he found a church that was growing in the gospel, preaching the gospel, and he rejoiced to see all these different uh, nationalities and converts and Gentiles coming to Christ. And of course, this began. This was the place where the... Uh, uh, the, the, these missionaries were first sent out of. So first of all, it was sent out of a local church. The context of missions was a local church. Number two, the context of the first missions was a loving church. Throughout the book of Acts, the presence of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by the love for the Lord and for His people. And we see the bond of love from the very beginning of the early church. One of the things that I really try to... Uh, teach and communicate especially to those who get saved and are following the Lord in baptism, you know, and, and at the end of it, just like everything else you teach and you preach, but at the end of the day, people have sole liberty, sole liberty uh, to follow or not. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the Bible says, and they, this is a beautiful picture, isn't it? And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with singleness and gladness of heart. And basically, that's going all the way back to Acts chapter number 2, but it just shows, man, the love of the church. Isn't the church a wonderful thing? I love the church, don't you? I really do. Uh, I mean, I, I, look, I look very fondly on those uh, early days uh, of me coming to Christ. Man, I was just thrilled with the church. And it, did, it wasn't... Um, you know, it wasn't because of the, the program that they had, and it wasn't because of all the... It was because of the people. Man, it was these people that you could tell just loved each other. They loved God. And I, I love the fact that it was different kinds of people, people from different backgrounds. It didn't matter. I love the way the church loved me and, and brought me in and, and took an interest in me and how that so many in the church, and I've said it before, uh, it was not... My pastor it was not the pastor of the church that i got saved in that really uh, helped me grow he did from the pulpit but it was the men of the church who took an active role in some young punk new christian that when i would ask questions not only would they answer my questions they would say hey do you, do you got more questions what are you doing this saturday what are you doing this afternoon after church? We'll have you over. And man, we'll just sit and start. And I had several men in the church that invested in my, in my life. 
Uh, I think about the precious uh, ladies of the church, man. They're just like, uh, like sisters and, and mothers and grandmothers to me. Uh, man, I love the church. And it, so God put a, a love in my heart for the local church uh, early on. And I want to tell you, that has never, ever changed. I still love the church today. The church is still what God's doing. And it is a local group of, group, group of people. Yes, we're imperfect people. Uh, yes, we have our, uh, our bumps and bruises and our flaws and so forth. But ultimately, man, we are a people with a common objective and a common goal, so we see the love of the church. We can see this love illustrated in Acts chapter number 13 with the church at Antioch. In verse 1, it gives a list of the people. It says, uh, these certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, the cool thing about this church, we don't quite have as great of an opportunity for this, living in Elk Point, South Dakota, but I think there's still a possibility, having, uh, you know, as close as we are to Sioux City and so forth, especially, South Sioux City. But uh, Barnabas was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And you can see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We, in other words, what we're going to see is the international nature of this church. And I love uh, the international nature of, uh, of a local church. Uh, Simeon, that was called Niger, was evidently uh, a black man. Niger means black. Niger comes from the Latin for the word black. And he was a teacher in the church. So it's believed that, uh, that Niger was a man from Africa. Then Lucius of Cyrene. Now this is a, a city in northern Africa on the Mediterranean Sea. And if you know northern Africa, that's a little bit more Middle Eastern uh, than what you would normally think of as Africa. But he was uh, also, it's, it's right around what would be modern day Libya. Is where Lucius was from. Uh, now... Manian, this is cool, he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this was very much a man with strong Roman influence in his life, and he had either been raised and educated in the household of Herod, or he was actually a companion. I mean, it's kind of cool. It's like, the, the, the way it's worded anyway, it sounds like, uh, you know, can you think of somebody that you know that Somebody that famous grew up, it's like, oh yeah, and then there's this guy, and he, remember him? He was a kid running around with Herod. He used to be one of Herod's buddies. Uh, but now here he is a part of the local church. Uh, and I wonder, you know, maybe we could just take a moment, you know, as we talk about the local church, the loving church, would anybody just uh, have anything to add or to share as far as the impact uh, that the, the church, perhaps the church you got saved in, perhaps this church, but uh, just, just to make a comment on how much or, or the impact that, that a loving church or that the local church uh, has had on you or anything else that we've discussed up to this point. Nellie? Amen. Amen. I like that. I, Nellie said, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the love and the, the example and the, the accountability. 
Uh, and she said that it's not that she's been, you know, people are coming holding her to account all the time, but it's just that, hey, seeing the example within the church, and, uh, and, and I could say that today. I mean, you know, uh, look, looking back over my life, I just, as, as a young Christian, I mean, I, I had some, in my home and in my family, uh, there's things to this day that I can look to my unsaved dad, my unsaved mother and grandpa and others in my life that I could say, hey, I want to model that. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that I can't say I want to model that. But I got into the church, I start just looking at men in the church. And I'm like, okay, I, I like the way he treats his wife. Man, that must, be the way you, that must be the way Christian men treat their wives. I like the way, I like the way he treats his kids. I like how, you know, affectionate he is toward his kids and his daughters and whatever else, you know. Oh, look how they treat each other. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just, I feel like in many ways, you know, like Nellie is saying, that many of us are, uh, you know, are, are kind of a, a, a sum of many of the influences we've had in our life. And hopefully those are positive. Uh, but any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, Gerald? Amen. Now, it wasn't everybody from the church, but there were some people from the church. Amen. Because that, that's the thing, right? To Nellie's point, not everybody that you've been in church with is just like, oh man, is that the example I can follow, right? Uh, or not everybody in the church is the ones that was calling you because we can say that. They didn't call me in my darkest hour. But I'm glad Gerald can think, you know what? That's some of the people that did reach out to me in my darkest hour. Uh, that's some of those people that were with me. Um, and so you could see the power of the church. And, and, and I know, like within that, you say, what's this got to do with missions? Well, I think it just, hopefully in a little bit, if time permitting, we'll see. But it's just the idea of the church. We talked about the church being a, a greenhouse, you know, versus a machine shop. And I just use that example a lot because some churches try to be machine shops. They're just focused on that finished product uh, and stamp you out. You know, and again, the, the thing with something stamped out um, you know, it's kind of pretty old-fashioned. It's funny when you start getting old that then you start saying, I'm old, and you date yourself. But I remember when I worked in a, it wasn't really a machine shop, but it was a press shop, and we had, you know, you'd have a big old roll of steel, and it would just press out parts. And, but I remember making a part for, uh, we made the part for a time clock. Who uses time clocks anymore, right? At least this old-fashioned, because I'm pretty sure this was a, you know, one of those that take your finger off or something type of old time clocks that some of you may remember uh but we made a part for a time clock we stamped it out we measured it it had to be just to the perfect specs um and it would be to the perfect specs or else it'd get thrown out anybody <laughs> you're not to the perfect specs you're not welcome there's a there's another bin over here for you we'll see if we can recycle and you do something with you later but you, you're not with the finished products right um but there's something else about those finished products those pieces of metal, they never grew. They never changed after that. They were just always same thing. You know, we use that example. I'm not going to belabor that point. But it just goes to the idea of this a loving local church. It, that's one of the things that we're going to see that fostered this first mission-hearted church. It's one of the things that fostered both of the examples that have already been given 
of being a place where God can work in people's heart to such a degree to where God can call out missionaries from that place. Or else, encourage us in our individual mission efforts as we go out of this place. So that's why the context of a loving local church matters. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Run. Yeah, yep, yeah, you know, Ron talks about the person that picked him up, loving strangers, I mean, just, hey, you know, uh, he mentioned a pastor that his first pastor that may have been legalistic in some ways, but he was still a, a father figure, so again, uh, that's, but, but I'm, I'm saying all that to try to get you, because sometimes we read these black, black words on white paper, but I'm just trying to get you the picture that the Church of Antioch was a church. It was a group of people that met together regularly, um, worshiped together regularly, prayed together regularly, uh, fasted together, you know, something that we don't hear much of, not only in the modern church, but we'd have to say that uh, within, uh, you know, within our context as well. But they served together, they worked together, they were people, a group of people that loved one another. And this church, again, was made up of all kinds of different people, uh, you know, one of the, one of the sad things that I, I can think of, of course, you know, Southern people get picked on. You know that? And I don't, ha- I don't have a martyr's complex or anything. Uh, I really don't as a Southerner. Um, yeah, you ever notice this? I've said this before. It'll be the most hilarious thing to me in the world. There'll be, there'll be some movie that's based on a ranch in Montana. Montana. You ever go to Montana? They don't talk like me in Montana, all right? They don't talk like Ralph in Montana. But in the movie... If there's some idiot farmhand that got kicked in the head by a mule and fell down a well and got drug out and is just some big dummy, you better believe he sounds a lot like me. You ever notice that? He's got a southern accent. How's that? Uh, but, but So southern people get picked on a lot, and in, and in a lot of ways we've earned it. I, I'll, I'll say that too. But I was thinking about this too. When it comes to race relations, America loves to pick on the old race of South, don't they? Uh, and there's no doubt that there's a serious history of racism in the South. I'm not dismissing that. But it seems like a lot of people in America like to point their fingers down there when really they could point their fingers at themselves too, right? Um, you know, through, throughout the country, throughout the world for that matter. Um, but, but I say that to say that it is sad that throughout our country's history we know that there's uh, been uh, segregated churches. Uh, but I'm telling you, the, the, the New Testament church is not a segregated church. A segregated church is not a biblical uh, model at all, as we see right here. And I don't think we've got to say too much about that in our church and, you know, in the, in, uh, the 21st century. But, uh, but I will say that I can remember my time in Pier when I was there up in Pier, South Dakota. Uh, they still had... Uh, the Lutheran Church and then the Indian Lutheran Church. They probably still do to this day. They had the Presbyterian Church and then they had the Indian Presbyterian Church. They still had the segregation going on. Uh, And again, it wasn't maybe as pronounced, but the churches are still there, um, which is just amazing to me. And, uh, and, And one of the things that, you know, 
I hate to use the term that I was proud of, but I mean it in a positive sense, like to the glory of God, is that uh, our small church in Pierre, I, I dare say that we had more natives in our church than any other church uh, in uh, the area outside of the native churches themselves. Why? Because we understand the truth that the, the true church is not segregated. Um, and so, um, anyway, but I think that we understand that. And, and of course, uh, you know, here we are in our situation. I mean, there's, uh, again, the, just due to the population percentages and the demographics, uh, we don't see quite as much nationality uh, in our church. But I would still say that we see, uh, for our area, we see diversity within our church as far as different backgrounds and socioeconomic and whatever type of things. But the point is, is that the church is not a segregated church. It's a local church. It's a loving church. So we see the context of the calling of, the, of, of missions. Now we see the calling of the missionaries. The Bible says in verse 2 that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now from this verse, we learn two significant factors that, that allow a church family and individuals to hear God's ter- directives concerning missions. Um, so again, man, I don't know. Even, even as I studied this, I'll tell you what happens sometimes as I, when I'm studying for a message, just like in the case this morning. Um, a lot of times it's not until I get up here starting to teach it that some of it starts sinking in a little bit better with me. And, and, and the point that I mean by that is, as I was studying this, I was thinking so much about this church here at Antioch that I, that I wasn't thinking as much about the model of the church at Antioch because as I've already talked about, given the environment, what kind of environment, what the, the, the model of this church, it was a local church, it was a loving church, but man, I'm telling you, it was, there was something else about this church. Notice what they did. They ministered to the Lord. They fasted. These are people who were serving. These are people who were praying and fasting. So in the calling of missionaries, what made for a good environment for this was a time of sanctification. Because when the church called these missionaries, the church was already gathered and ministering to the Lord. They were busy in service. They weren't just going through the motions. They weren't just, you know, saying, well, this is what we do because this is what we do it. May God help us to, man, have a burning heart to do that which God has called us to do our part within the local church, ministering to the Lord. Uh, They genuinely uh, ministered. They prayed, they fasted, they preached, they led souls to Christ, they sang, they gave, they were doing it as unto the Lord. And you know, I think it's just a good reminder for us because... You know, sometimes we talk about being in the habit of going to church. I I don't think there's nothing wrong with being in the habit of going to church in a manner of speaking. Um, You know, to God be the glory, it's been a habit of ours to go to church for uh, many years now. The uh, one thing that I can tell you over the years, and if you've got small children, this should be a goal of yours as well, but I can tell you that our kids have never got up, I don't think, one Sunday morning and said, hey... Well, unless it's a blizzard or something. 
uh, but are we going to church today? They know we are. That's a habit. That's, that's what we do. Man, but God forbid that it just becomes a habit. Because there's a lot of people that go to church, is there not? Now, I know the percentages of our population concerning that are dropping, but there's a lot of people who are sitting in church this week who sat in church, and just like me and my family have been sitting in church for the last 30 years. And that's good, but God forbid that's all it is. You know, uh, may God help us to do what it is that we do with fervor and that we do it as unto the Lord. What is it that you do for the Lord? Or whatever, what is it that you serve and do in the church? Always do it as unto the Lord. You know, and a part, I feel like a part of my job is I always want to encourage and remind you of the importance of what you do and the importance of whatever it is, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, everything matters in relation to the contribution you make uh, within the church. You say, well, I can't do as much as some do. Well, you don't have to do as much as some do. Just do what God wants you to do. That's it. Um, you know, and, and I was thinking of, uh, you know, we, we, you say, well, where, where can I serve at? Well, there's, there's opportunities. You know, we, we often have opportunities in the kids' ministry. You say, well, preacher, I don't care for that. Uh, we, we've got some, uh, some, some of the immediate needs that are coming up uh, here lately. And again, these aren't the, 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 the fun, exciting things necessarily. Um, but we've got some cleaning opportunities. Perk up on that. Uh, some cleaning opportunities uh, that are opening up right now. You know what else we've got? We've got some visiting opportunities. Are any of you, uh, any of you got the gift of gab like me? Um, sometimes you wonder whether or, not, whether or not it's a gift. And if you've got to listen to us, you really wonder whether or not it's a gift. But you might not even have the gift of gab. Hey, are you a good listener? We've got, uh, we've got widows in the church. We've got uh, not too many shut-ins, but we've got a few shut-ins. Um, hey, you know, you can just go see them. Go by. How's it going? Uh, you know, visit a little bit. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a needed ministry or, or could be a useful. And there, there's other things as well. Um, but I'll tell you one thing about this church. There's a principle here. As they ministered to the Lord. I've, I've said this before, and many of you know it. Uh, what kind of people... Ah, that's too broad of a question. I ask, I ask a lot of broad questions. I'll just say it then. Normally, when you read in the Bible, people that God called to do something, what were they doing when God called them? Working, thank you. Uh, again, it was still pretty broad, but working. They were doing something. Um... One of the ways, and, and you know, is that not just a principle? You know one of the reasons why some people get called on to do stuff more? Because they're normally doing something. A lot, a lot, I mean, and so if, if you want God, the attitude that we ought to have is to minister. In other words, not just sit back and say, well, preacher, if you figure it out, let me know. I mean, there's some people that think it's my responsibility to to. to Give them something to do. Now, I understand to a certain extent that you may say that you don't want to just go off running, running uh, you know, willy-nilly and starting up some kind of 
tic-tac-toe ministry or something like that and then tell me about it next week. Uh, but, um, so I understand that, but the point is, is there are things that need to be done. I mean, I don't think that we can be bitter about being not asked to do something. Well, I'd like to do something for the Lord, but preacher never calls on me. Don't walk past an empty trash can and say that junk. Because you're not sincere. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, don't walk past a piece of paper on the floor and say, you know, I mean, don't go past a weed that needs to be plucked. Somebody, I wish somebody would pull that up. Uh, I mean, don't, don't do it. Don't say, there's nothing for me to do. When you see a need, when you know that there's, uh, you know, when you know that there's somebody who maybe hasn't been here in a while that you can just text and say, hey, praying for you. Uh, you know, so, so the point is, is, is help us to stay as we minister to the Lord. That's, that's the attitude of this church that allowed them to be the type of church that God was able to call missionaries out of. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, man, I meant to, uh, we, we got great card people. I, I love that. Uh, I, I love that we've got people that just sends out cards to people. Uh, and what a blessing that is. And you know, you know how that works sometimes? Uh, sometimes people will come up to me, Connie, and they'll say, Pastor, thank you so much for the card. <laughs> uh, but I say, it wasn't from me. It wasn't from me. But thank God for people that sends cards and letters and whatever else that you may do. Um, but, uh, but I was thinking it would be good for, uh, I, you know, we're, we're live and everything right now, so I don't want to go into detail, but I was thinking about... Uh, uh, somebody who's battling cancer right now that I thought it'd be good that if we got a card together from the church and something or another. Anyway, uh, he said, well, preacher, you're saying do it. I know, I guess I can do it. Give me a card and I'll do it. No, you get the card. Okay. Uh, hey, I, I do not stand up here and preach as a, as a perfect person, okay? Uh, I get up here and preach that I'm preaching to you. I got to preach it to myself first. Then I got to preach it to me while I'm up here. But the point is, they were a church that was busy, so they were a sanct- it was a sanctified time. Um, all right. There's a couple things I didn't want to skip in here. Uh, you know, one of the things, and this is interesting because this will be in the message in a little bit too today, but I was thinking about some of the attitudes of the world. Man, you don't realize, we don't realize how much worldly philosophy has has just kind of seeped into the church. Because oftentimes our society is so saturated in it that it just kind of gets in. And, and, and one of the particular things I want to mention at this moment is just the self-centered nature of what church is today, right? Not our church, not every church. But I'm just saying that, um, you know, and, and I talk about wanting to reach out and wanting people to understand why they should come to this church. Um, you know, from a, you know, if you want to use marketing there, I understand the, the implications that come along with marketing, but marketing in general is not a bad thing, but marketing as a whole, when the church just begins to have to market to people about what we can do for you, you know, we've got the product that it best suits you, you know, and... I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to live a good life now or a best kind of life now, but you you just see the way that that attitude goes. 
to where it's become a lot about us. It becomes a lot about people. It becomes a lot about, you know, there's the idea that man has now made God in their own image. And since we live in a society to where truth, we, we get to determine truth, uh, we get to all have our own truth, and then we also get to determine what's right and wrong. And basically what we end up doing is, whether we realize it or not, is we kind of end up being the God of our lives, you know, which is what Satan was trying to do at the very beginning. And he warned the Corinthians, I'm scared that Satan might accomplish this in you as believers, that you may be tricked through his subtlety. But the point is, man, may God help us to get our minds on God and get our eyes on others. And again, to the world, including my own reasoning, it kind of makes sense to where if I really want my best life now, I need to make sure I'm looking out for me first. What do I care about? It's my time. It's my money. It's my life. You know, I, I need to make myself happy. But what happens when you just focus on self ultimately? I mean, it's, it's kind of it's like a black hole. That is not the secret to happiness. We, that, the, the, that's the lie. And again, it makes sense to us from an earthly standpoint. But that's not where we find joy. That's where you find all sorts of misery. Is that not right? When are you the most miserable? It's probably when you're just so self-centered and self-focused. Your problems, your pain, your time, your inconvenience, all of this stuff, we're the most miserable when we're so caught up on ourselves. So ultimately, the, the motive ought not to be, hey, I want to be a happy person, therefore I'm going to put other people first and serve. But that's a byproduct. The, the motive is God says to do it, so we do it. But then also we understand that God always wants to bless us, amen, in that. So anyway, but this church got that. Um, these people were dedicated. That's a good word. They were sanctified. They were dedicated. Um, I, I like what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Lively stones. In other words, there, there, there's life. There's excitement. There's something going on there. Any Questions, comments, thoughts before we move on from that one? A sanctified time. All right. So it was a sanctified time. It was a sacrificial time. Uh, obviously, I think that we've talked about that. Um, missionary Adoniram Judson said, The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. This is the motto of every Christian in every local church, uh, or should be the motto of every Christian, devoted for lives, committing their lives to the Lord, willing to stay, willing to go, willing to send others, whatever it is, God, I am willing to do. It, it's a sacrificial time. And that's just us saying, Lord, I give my life to you. I present my body as a living sacrifice. So this, this church had a sacrificial, they had a sanctified time, they had a sacrificial time. 
the need of souls, particularly when we talk about the gospel and missions in this context, it was given to the local church and is worthy of our highest sacrifices. What did Jesus give for the cause of missions? His life, amen? He shed His blood for the cause of missions. I mean, missions really is the cause of Christ. It's, it's our purpose. It's our reason. Uh, missions. Um, so that's what Jesus gave, and it's also worthy of our highest sacrifice. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. And remember, I'm not just talking about, I am talking about sending missionaries to other countries, other states, other ministries, but I'm also talking about ourselves, trying to be a witness to somebody. Something I should bring up, you know, in the last moments here that we have uh, about the sacrificial time is just something that I am not an authority on, I admit to my shame. But one of the things it said here is it said that they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. I don't know what you think of when you think of fasting, but fasting, what does the Bible tell us about? There's a lot to be said about fasting. Um, And here it's prayer coupled with fasting. Fasting is a way of bringing prayer to its fullest potential. That's what Paul Chappell said. I thought that's a good statement. Fasting is a way of bringing prayer to its fullest potential. It's a physical indication of a heart that yearns for God's will and for God's answers more than for physical appetites to be fulfilled. The church was fully devoted to the Lord. Sacrifice is not just for a few special Christians um, and so forth. I'll just say something else there about fasting. I have fasted. Uh, It's been a while since I have fasted. Fasted, and you don't want to know, now how many of you would say this? Uh, and again, a lot of people, you know, in some ways, including myself, but, uh, but I'm without excuse, but a lot of people are just ignorant of fasting altogether. They think that's just some old religious ritual that really has no place in the New Testament church or in modern times. So when I say that, I want to be careful about shaming here. I don't want to shame um, except for maybe myself a little bit in the sense to say that it's a shame that I would uh, fast to lose a few pounds, but not fast to see a breakthrough of some sort. That goes beyond the scales, right? Um, I think that's kind of a shame. But again, some, some of that's just from, you know, if not entering into our reasoning. I don't know how often in my life that I've had fasting preached and, and taught to me, It's something that I need to get a better grasp on, but there's no question about it. You see it repeatedly in the Word of God, that fasting, and and I know that if I could summarize it, and again, understand, I brought this up at uh, 1040, Uh, so I'm not not trying to open up and say we're going to do all fasting here for the next 30 minutes, Uh, but it's just to introduce it maybe a little bit and get it on your radar, maybe to get you to thinking about it. But I can say for myself, the times that I have fasted for spiritual reasons, it goes a little something like this. Uh, it goes to where, as a general rule, I'm fasting. I, I'm not eating. And in that not eating, 
when I begin to get hungry, uh, I start thinking, yes, I'm hungry. But then I, I remind myself, well, I'm hungrier for this need. Remember Jesus said, I, I have meat to eat that you know not of? I am hungrier to see my loved ones saved. I am hungrier to see God do something in our church. I'm hungrier to see God do something in my, my wife's life, my husband's life. I'm, I, I'm more hungry for that right now. That's what matters more to me. Uh, and so as you get hungry, you're reminded of what really matters. So there is a, there is a it, it's, it's an interesting place where, the, where, the, where a physical discipline can tie into a spiritual discipline. Uh, you know, again, I understand that people can get legalistic about it. People can get pharisaical about it. Um, and I'm not opening up the entire conversation on fasting. I'm just giving you my perspective on it. Another thing I can tell you for sure about fasting is fasting does not only... Uh, it doesn't mean not eating anything at all, all the time. When Daniel and his companions fasted, they just ate basically tasteless food and just enough to get them by while they fasted. Um, so fasting doesn't always have to be zero food. Fasting doesn't always have to be 24 hours. It doesn't always have to be days. But I'll tell you this too. Don't be deceived by it because I, I, knew, a, I knew a fella... I knew a preacher that, that fasted, and there may be something wrong with me knowing this too, by the way. That might be part of the problem. But I know a pastor that at least on two different occasions uh, said he fasted for 40 days. On two separate occasions. Um, I, I'm saying that to say this. Fasting is not just going to necessarily make you spiritual or more spiritual than anybody else. Or it's not going to... You know, and, and I say that to say that I think this man started putting a lot of stock in fasting, but it didn't keep him from having an affair and uh, leaving his wife and things of that nature. So it's not just that, oh man, he, fa he fasted for 40 days, he's going to be a spiritual awesome dude. Not necessarily, because we know heathen fast. Uh, and I think that there needs to be something said about just having the right attitude about it. Um, I remember hearing one time that uh, uh, about the Sundance. Anybody familiar with Sundance? Uh, Sundance, where uh, you know the the, the natives will uh, they'll basically put uh, what is it like bear claws, some kind of claws uh, uh, through their chest, attached to a pole, and they'll uh, they'll dance around that pole as they follow the sun. Uh, that's why it's the Sundance. Uh, and they're trying to get a vision. And sometimes they'll fast as much as like three days uh, for this Sundance. And they'll, they'll dance around, dance around, dance around until finally the, those, those claws that they got hooked through their flesh finally break through and they fall back. And then they're put on a, a bed of uh, whatever. It uh, doesn't really matter too much. But I remember the first time I heard about that, I'm like, man alive. They're fat. And they're, they, they still do that like right now to this day. Um, but, uh, but I think, man, and I'm thinking, man, when's the last time I fasted? You know, when I hear that, but just because somebody's crazy dedicated to some false God doesn't necessarily mean that, that I need to try to match that dedication because I've got a real God saved by grace and so forth. All right, Ralph, is it a short one? Okay.
Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, you know, and I'll just, I'll just put that into context real quick. I was talking about not blowing the horn and, you know, because Jesus said there'll be those that fast that come in and, Also, Jesus in the same context, don't pray before the people. Don't fast before the people, don't pray before the people, because it's so that you will be seen. So that's why it's not that it's wrong to say, you know, if somebody were to get up and say, you know, just sharing your testimony, man, I've been praying and fasting about this. You just blew it, you did get to it. No, no, no. That's not what's being said when he says, don't let anybody know you do it. But Ralph's right. The, the point is, you're not trying to go around making some kind of deal about it. Um, or, or it's kind of one of those things that then you kind of have your reward. Okay, there you go, buddy. <laughs> you know, you, now people get to think that you're something or whatever. All right, uh, we'll stop right there.